What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Finance for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wren. Join me as we dig into what it looks like for physicians to begin using their finances as a tool to live better lives. You can learn more about our resources at financeforphysicians.co. Let's jump into today's episode. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining me today. As physicians, you guys are really in, in a great spot. You're super smart. You got tons of earning potential in the profession. But I think even more importantly, you're in a profession that gets to provide a ton of value. And it's really a trusted profession. And that allows you to really make a difference. Um, so I, I think that's a great place to be. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of perks there. But, but I got to tell you straight up, I've worked with a lot of physicians and have have had the privilege of being able to see their complete financial picture. And frankly, there, there's some pretty bad financial decisions being made. Now, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're one, one that's making, you know, a lot more better decisions. And hopefully that's you. And maybe you know you're on the right track. But maybe it isn't you. Maybe, maybe you're making poor, even worse, maybe you're making poor financial decisions and you don't realize it. I think that's the worst worst case scenario. Or maybe in the future, it could be you. So I think it's always good to uh, understand what those big financial decisions are and how to avoid making poor financial decisions. So today I want to talk about the main reason why physicians make bad financial decisions. And more importantly, how you can avoid making these big bad financial decisions in your situation. All right, let's do this. So I don't know if you've ever uh, been able to hang out with financial planners or have buddies that are in the finance business or whatnot. Um, I, you know, of course, as a financial planner myself, that's, I hang out with a ton of them. And so I don't know if you've ever noticed, but um, if you ever ask them financial questions, a lot of times they'll give you kind of like flaky answers, like it depends, or I'm not sure, or. So what's up with that? How hard can it be to answer, you know, what you might think is a pretty simple question, Uh, especially for people like in the finance business? I mean, like, come on. So questions like maybe, you know, how much should I spend on the house or what's, you know, a good target for me? Uh, Where should I invest my money? Is is it a good idea to start buying real estate? Am I saving enough? Those are kind of general questions. And I can tell you from being a financial planner, for many years, uh, there's a there's a ton of people that have asked me this question, and it's so the temptation for me is always to jump into solutions. I want to answer the question for people. I want to help them, and I also like to you know give my opinion. That's that's how everyone is. So that's that's kind of the direction you tend to go. But really, the right answer actually for someone that's looking out for you is to say, you know, it probably depends. But, you know, most people, if you talk to most people, they're they're going to be loaded up with solutions. Try it out with your buddies or friends. I'm sure they're going to have some solutions for you. The problem is the solutions are not not a good place to start. It's actually, you know, you know the the worst place to start. Really you got to you got to take a step back and and so we're going to talk about why it depends and you know, more about the process behind the scenes. So let's look at an example. So let's say, um, 
hypothetical, James and Kristen uh, transitioning into practice. They want to buy a house. They're going to get settled. They're not sure how much to budget or you know, what they should do exactly. They're, they're not sure what, what most people do. So they start to talk to maybe their colleagues and their friends. Uh, they're asking what, what they did. Uh, maybe they talk to people they trust, like parents or friends in, uh, in finance or in real estate. What should I spend? They do the research online. They read articles, look for rules of thumb. They start to feel a little better about navigating the decisions, like you know how to work with a realtor, what's a physician mortgage loan, and, and they're educating themselves, which is generally good. At some point in the process, they you know start to look or houses online, it's getting close to the tra big transition. Uh, they start to calculate mortgage payments. Maybe they talk to lenders uh, at that point in the game, start to talk about pre-qualification and setting kind of a rough budget. And eventually they, you know, start working with a realtor to go see houses uh, or they're, you know, everybody's on Zillow looking at houses, doing like the virtual walkthrough. And at this point in the game, they're, you know, they're starting to get emotionally attached to certain homes and definitely like price ranges. And they're starting to feel better about the decision. And somewhere along the way, they find, you know, the, maybe the perfect home or, you know, the ideal house. Uh, it's, you know, typically like, like all humans, it's slightly over budget, but not, not terribly over budget. And, you know, but it's easy to justify the decision and, and move on. You know, it's just, you know, 50000 over. That's like an extra, you know, $100 a month on the payment. Not a big deal. So that that's kind of, I've seen that kind of play out like that a lot of times. In fact, that's the t probably the most tempting route to go. It's kind of the, the fast and easy route. And, and it feels relatively uh, calculated. But fast forward like a few years and, and we're looking at James and Kristen again. And they're actually feeling like trapped and, and they don't feel like they have any margin. They're feeling like they have to work to pay bills. They're not making as much progress on things like student loans as they'd hoped. They're not really able to travel as much as they hoped, even though income went way up. They're not saving as much as they thought they were going to. Uh, it's tough to give like charitably like they wanted to. A lot of the things they were hoping for uh, have yet to pan out. And then they start to have children and, you know, it, it just starts to compound that financial pressure. Now on paper or on Facebook, you know, everything looks good. Like they're, they look happy. You wouldn't be able to tell from hanging out with them. They're fine financially, really. Like they're not in trouble. They can totally afford the, the home. They're not really, they're really not house poor. They have the ability to kind of hit the baseline stuff. They're, sa they're saving some money and they can pay, you know, the base, like cover all the bases. But the problem is they're not living their ideal life or the life that they had hoped for. And it's difficult in that situation to self-diagnose what happened or how they got there and what the cause is. So this is like the classic example I've seen a ton of times play out. And you can kind of swap out big financial decisions with the house. The house is just probably the most common example that I wanted to use. But, you know, it comes with all sorts of different big financial decisions. On the surface, a lot of times that everything's good. 
But I know you guys work really hard in your profession, and I, I really don't think it's worth it to work that hard not to live your ideal life. And I'm sure a lot of you agree. So like what, what went wrong here? Let's, let's start to kind of peel back the layers. So first of all, I think it's important to, to make this clear. I don't think it's bad to spend a lot of money on a really nice house. I don't think it's bad to own a million dollar house, two million, you know, whatever. Um, that's not the problem here. It's not that buying a really nice home is a bad decision. That in itself is definitely not a mistake. The mistake happened in the process of making the decision. So let's talk about the process a little bit more. So maybe we can look at the ideal approach and and work through this again. And ideally, you're working through this sort of process we'll walk through, you know, quite a bit before you're in the weeds of the decision. So first question I would ask. So let's pretend like we're talking with James and Kristen and it's like, I don't know, a year or two years or before this whole transition point. So let's talk. We're talking with James and Kristen. So first thing, number one, first thing I would encourage them to think about and start to iron out is what is most important to you in, in life now and, and in the future, or what does your ideal future life look like? So maybe James and Kristen, it was, you know, traveling, education for their future children, charitable giving, having good balance in life, like work-life health balance, spending time with family, being financially secure, working towards financial independence by like a reasonable age, I don't know, 60, 65, something like that, uh, taking care of family in case something unexpected happens. Those are very common answers that I hear when we pose this question of the most important things now and in the future. Now there's, you know, all kinds of other things that can come up and really it's, you're going to depend completely on what you value, but this is always the best starting point is what is most important now and in your ideal future. So number two in this process, how does, so let's say we're approaching this upcoming decision house in, you know, a year or two, how does the house or whatever XYZ decision, how does this house decision rank versus everything else in life that's, that's important? So it's not uncommon for the home to be important, but it typically, in, in my experience, it typically doesn't you know, make like the top five really even. Now, sometimes it, it does. I mean, it doesn't, it can be wherever you want it to be. I mean, you could have it be number one, but, uh, like I said, in, in my experience, and in this case, I'm, we're hypothetical. In James and Kristen's case, let's say it's, you know, below all those things I just went through, but not far below it. Now, the problem, going back to the original scenario, is what tends to happen if you don't have a, you haven't worked through this process and you don't have a plan, is you just kind of uh, gravitate, to, you know, running on emotions and in the moment, and it whatever's happening in the moment tends to take the priority. So it's almost like you operate like it's the most important thing. And I've seen people uh, do this a million times. Uh, it's like finding the ideal forever home becomes like the top priority. And it really is in the moment. But if we're talking a year or two years before, it's typically not the most important. So you kind of, you have to do this before you're in the weeds of 
the emotions with the decision. So back to the process. So number two, so how does this rank in relation to everything else? How does the upcoming big decision rank in relation to everything else? So like I said, it's oftentimes that, that the home is not in the top five. You know, maybe it's number six or seven. So that's super important to essentially you're just prioritizing of those things that are all important. You're prioritizing how you rank them. Now, sometimes, you know, if your uh, partner, if you're single, it's simpler. If you're if you have a partner, sometimes it gets a little tricky because you have different priorities. That's OK. You kind of but you need to talk through those ahead of time, ideally. And that that will avoid a lot of uh, future headaches. So that's number two is how does X, Y, Z decision rank? Number three in this ideal process. So what are the financial resources you have available? So the biggest one typically for a lot of you, you know, earlier in your career, it's income or, you know, even more broadly, your earning potential. And so some of that is going to go, have to go to taxes uh, some of it's going to go to need to go to debts and baseline lifestyle, like call it like your live like a resident lifestyle. But, you know, typically when you've transitioned into practice, income has increased quite a bit. And so there's often like a pretty s- decent size net left over after all those baseline kind of necessities that you have to work with. So in most cases, that's the biggest financial resource you guys have to work with. Now there's other financial resources, like you can have assets, uh, you can have other sources of income or whatever, but that's the most common financial resource is, you know, so ironing that out and knowing kind of what it's going to look like, how ideally, you know, how much taxes you're going to pay. That's just a matter of, you know, going through the math, understanding what debt payments need to be, student loans, you know, whatever debts you have. Uh, and, and then, you know, so backing into what that net is available for, for James and Kristen in this post-transition phase of life, then you start to allocate that net based on that priority list. So this is when you go back to this priority list of what's most important. So you start to allocate that net to start picking off your most important goals first. So let's say they ranked Number one is financial independence by age 60. So first thing is we have to make sure that they're saving at least enough to be competently on track for that goal, uh, age 60 retirement. So you carve that off the top. Say number two is charitable giving. Let's figure out what that needs to look like. Carve that out off the top. It needs to come out first. Traveling, what's the budget need to be? What does this look like? Carve that out. Now, I understand that it's sometimes difficult to project or understand what the future, you know, life should look like. That can be hard. So, you know, do your best. When in doubt, go err towards margin. So build, try to work towards building margin in. So, for example, especially with these things I'm talking about. So if we're talking about, you know, taxes, for instance, Air on the conservatively high side or saving for financial independence by 60, you know, air on the side of caution, reasonable caution or traveling. If you have no idea, like, you know, start with a number that feels a little high, but it's not, you know, it seems somewhat reasonable. So that third step, you're allocating this 
net available resource, your income, in priority order of what's most important to you. And then the next step, number four, is you're just you're you're getting to that, you know, whatever house decision, whatever decision it is for you. So you're you've already gone through these first three steps, and now we're just getting into the how do we work the house in the equation. So how does the house decision fit into this? So make sure with the house, a common mistake is incorporating all the costs, like the true all-in costs. But the biggest thing is, you know, backing into a firm like budget for the house that is in priority order after the other things that are most important. And then you can start looking. I mean, then you're, you know, you should have all the confidence in the world in the price. And then the, f- the final step, we'll call it the fifth step, is just kind of thinking about efficiency uh, hacks or, you know, ways to improve outcomes uh, along the way as you go through the decision. So how do you, you know, finance it? What do you put down? Uh, are you getting the best interest rate possible? Should you get a physician loan? You know, do you negotiate the price? How do you negotiate the price? Should you use a realtor or should you not use a realtor? Um, these are all important, but um, kind of, or they're actually like the last step and sh- really should be done after all these other things. So the the temptation though is for, if you're human, I mean, you, you, you're tempted. You People are, in, you have shiny objects, you see them and you're tempted to kind of run after them. And so in this scenario, the shiny object is like, I'm going to get on Zillow first and I don't even have a financial plan. There's no process. It's just jump on Zillow, start calculating mortgage payments, see if it's going to work into the budget I've kind of napkin hypothetically done and I've forgotten what my values are or haven't really thought through it. That's that's very tempting if you're, you know, I've been there. That That's what we do as humans. You just kind of get into the moment of the emotion. So ideally you work this through this process. So really this is the financial planning process. And it's it's not the most exciting. It's definitely not sexy, but it flat out works. And it's going to keep you out of trouble. It's going to keep you on track and making the right decision, short and long term. It's going to keep you from, you're always going to be susceptible to the shiny objects. At least I am. I mean, there's always temptations that come up. But it's going to set you up to be uh, more, you're going to be in a better position to navigate life and say no to the temptations you probably don't need to do that or that don't fit into your uh, financial plan. It's like the voice of reason or the reality check and, and then the reminder of your ideal future. So going back to the title of this conversation. So what is the number one reason physicians and really all of us make bad financial decisions? And what I would say is it's the failure to consult their financial plan or failure to plan in the first place. So my question for everyone listening is, do you have a written, ideally written, but do you have a financial plan? And so maybe, maybe you don't have one. Maybe, maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe it's been a while since you, maybe you do have one, but maybe it's been a while since you uh, have looked at it and, and uh, haven't really consulted it as life changes. Or maybe you're getting poor advice. There's a lot of advice out there. And sometimes it's not in, you know, alignment with this. Sometimes the advice is the shiny object. 
Um, there's a million reasons, you know, we get off track here, but either way, when you're starting to operate, you know, in the moment and you deviate from your financial plan or, you know, don't have one at all, that's when you're setting the stage for poor outcomes. So having a financial plan, it's one of those things. It's like saving for retirement. I mean, it's always better to do sooner than later. I'm sure you've heard the quote, failing to plan is planning to fail. I mean, it's all, that's completely true. So how do you go about doing it? It's like, you know, it can feel like a bear to go through that process. So first thing, there's definitely people that you can hire to help. Just word of caution, most financial advisors don't actually do this. Um, many of them are actually more like product sales people, um, like insurances or investments, or they're in investment managers. And that's all good. It's just not exactly this. Maybe that's what you need, but what I would say is you need a plan first and that should be the foundation. And there's, there's definitely financial planners that do focus in on this aspect first uh, that will help you through the, the process I described. And not only for your house decision, but really for you know, all the big financial decisions that come up. That's, that's what we do in my planning firm, Ren Financial Planning. We help physicians through this process. So if you're interested in hearing more about what that might look like for you and want to kind of work with someone, we're happy to do no-cost consults and kind of talk through what our process looks like. Uh, our planners can do kind of a 15, 30-minute quick call and just talk through it, no pressure at all. Or it's completely fine to, you know, go the DIY route. If that's, if that's you, um, that's great. The key, though, is to have a plan and to consult it regularly as you approach these big financial life decisions and let that plan be the guide to help you navigate this. So I hope this has been helpful. If you enjoy it, please share it with a friend. Help us get the word out. And I'll, as always, um, thank you so much for listening in. And I will look forward to talking to you next time. As always, thank you so much for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please give us a review on iTunes and share with a friend. Also, check out our website at financeforphysicians.co for all sorts of additional content. See you next time. Finance for Physicians is not an investment, tax, legal, or financial advisor. All content included in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered financial tax or legal advice. Material presented is believed to be from reliable sources and no representations are made by Finance for Physicians as to another party's informational accuracy or completeness. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. If you don't have an advisor or would like a second opinion, feel free to check out our website for recommended advisors.